we're in this series right now called Restless, the, the things that keep us up at night. And today's title of today's message is My Family is a Mess. When my family is a mess, these are things that keep me up at night. And, and I meet with people all the time where this is the very thing that keeps them up at night. And I love this service today. This service is amazing, isn't it? Amen? And, and I love the, the focus on family and the commitment to families. And, and if you're up at night uh, thinking about family, we often think about family in relation to how I'm going to change my kids or how I'm going to change my spouse or how I'm going to change this person or that person. But the reality is, and the focus on today's message is, and I hate to break your bubble, but you can't change anybody, including your spouse. But what you, who you can change is you. It begins with our hearts. And that's where we're going to camp today as we talk about uh, really the context of the one factor to raising a generation of kids who love God and love others, and that is emotional safety, the context of emotional safety. And so as we get started today, one of the areas I want to camp in is that whole idea. I love that we had everybody stand up in here. Because in, Moses, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is giving a speech. He's given like this last legacy speech. Uh, and, and a lot of times we look at that passage and we think it's written to parents. Uh, and he does address parents. He says, here's how you leave a spiritual legacy. Talk to your kids about the commands of God. Talk to them about loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul. And, and teach them to them in four critical moments when they're going to bed at night, tucking them in, when they wake up in the morning, during meal times, and also during drive time. He didn't really say drive time. He had when you walk along the way, right? But that's drive time today. But when he starts out that passage, he doesn't just say, hear, O parents. He says, hear, O Israel. He's talking to the entire church. And he's saying, hey, church, here's how we raise up the next generation. And so for us, we lived in Branson for the past three and a half years. We just recently moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And while we were in Branson and we're doing the same thing in Nashville is we're surrounding ourselves with the church because we don't have our family living near us. And so instead we have adopted grandparents who they themselves don't yet have children, grandchildren, or they do, but they're also living at a distance. And also, if you're a college student or you're single, who, who you're, you're our age, we're going to invite you in as an adopted aunt and uncle. And we're going to help you be an adopted, safe aunt and uncle to our kids. That's our passion, is raising a generation, communities, safe house families, communities of safe house families across the country. And, and so we're all called to be a part of that. And so as we open this morning, one of the early days of, of Landon, he was 18 months old, and we had adopted grandparents in Branson. And I can remember carrying him in. These adopted grandparents would watch our kids every single Friday night so that we could have a date night to focus on our marriage. And so as we're getting ready to take Landon in, he's about 18 months old. Uh, Christy was pregnant with Kennedy, and I'm carrying him into the house. And as I'm walking, the house is over here, and the sidewalk's here, and I'm carrying him in it. And down in the, down in the uh, house below us, we hear gunshots going off. 
And Landon's going, boom, boom, dad, dad, boom, boom. And I didn't think anything of it. We lived in the Ozarks, right? Gunshots are a norm there. And just thought people were target practicing. And I don't know about you, but when we first bought car seats, nobody warned me that they were built, they come with a built-in laxative. Right? And as soon as you, and especially in the wintertime, when you get your children bundled up and you get them in their car seats, it's not, you're not a mile down the road and they're pushing. Right? And, and if you're not a parent yet, it, you'll learn it's common etiquette to not leave a number two lingering there when you're dropping them off at the babysitter. Okay? Even if it is family. All right? And so you, I'm carrying him in. This happened this particular day. And I changed his diaper, and I walked into their kitchen, and I washed my hands, and I turned around, and I took one step out of their kitchen, and I heard, crap! And I looked down, and there's drywall laying on the floor, and up to my head level, five feet away from my head, was a bullet hole that had come through the wall. And I got down on my hands and knees, and Christy went and protected Landon, and I crawled in to the bedroom floor, and I found a nine-millimeter slug laying on the bedroom floor. It was a perfect illustration to describe the emotional bullets that are coming at our kids from outside our homes every single day. When we drop our kids off, we expect to be dropping them off in what I call a safe house, a safe place for taking refuge. The reality is, is we have emotional bullets. Our kids have emotional bullets coming at them from bullying and peer pressure and instant uh, gratification of, the, of social media and, and technology and the advertising and all of these messages that are coming at them day in and day out. The last thing they need is to come home with emotional bullets coming at them from within inside the home as well. Because that's when they start looking to other places to feel safe. Our homes should be the emotionally and spiritually safest places on the planet for our spouses and kids. From the very moment our children enter this world, they're asking questions. Am I loved? Am I important? Am I needed? Am I wanted? And all of those questions can be summed up into one primary question our kids are asking from the moment they're born, and that is this. Am I safe? Is this world I'm living in a safe or a dangerous place? And here's the scary realization. We as parents are answering that question every single day by how we relate to them. And what I love to do is I love to take the scientific research and show it put it on, filter it through the lenses of scripture and show how research is proving the Bible to be true and how we relate to our children and those around us. And that's what we're going to do today. So as you look at this first quote, this comes from neuroscience relational researchers. Look at this first quote. Our relationship with our kids should be central to everything that we do, whether we're playing with them, talking with them, laughing with them, or yes, disciplining them. We want them to experience at a deep level the full force of our love and affection, whether we're acknowledging an act of kindness or we're addressing a misbehavior. What's the Bible say about this? That's the research. What's the Bible say about this? 
Look at Psalm 103. I love that we sing bless the Lord today. Bless the Lord. Psalm 103 is a, in sandwiched in between bless the Lord, O my soul, in Psalm 103 in the beginning and the end. In the middle of this passage, it describes God as our Father. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That word compassion, when you look at the root word, is a deep visceral, a deep level emotion for us as his children. And look at starting in verse 8 and, and think about this as you parent. Think about this as you relate to your husband or your wife. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He's not going to constantly be shaming or blaming you for things that you're doing, nor does he keep his anger forever. And he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't punish us for sins that we've repented of later on down the road. He doesn't do that. I want to ask this question, as you think about praying the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, our Father who lives in heaven, thy will be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you think about your family and how you relate, do you think about relating to them on earth as it is in heaven? Think about the most shaming, embarrassing, condemning, rejecting moment of your life. That's a hard thing to think about. But you know what? It's gone in heaven because God our Father doesn't treat us that way. Amen? That's the Father's love for us. You see, the Father centers how he relates to us completely on relationship. And so should it be the way that we parent our kids but it's not always easy, is it? I'm saying, okay, parent like God, guys. And for those of you moms and dads standing up here today and your kids were out of sorts and you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed. They're going to see how bad of a parent I am. Let me, in, let me allow you into our world just a little bit. Watch this video. Okay, you can turn that off. I'm on vacation. Uh, <laughs> but think about that. And here's the reality. Now, because emotional safety at its core is most critical when our kids are stressed, when our kids are needing us, when your teenagers are talking back to you, your kids are throwing temper tantrums. That's when emotional safety is actually the most critical. When your spouse is criticizing you, is short with you, being emotionally safe is most critical in those moments. Now, it's stressful enough being a parent. If you're raising kids in the 21st century, you have enough issues to think about, right? Do we get immunizations or don't we? Do we breastfeed or do we bottle feed? Do they sleep with us or do, or do they not? Do we let them cry it out or do we set a schedule for them? Are you feeling stressed yet? Do we send them to public school, private school, or homeschool? Do we allow technology? Do we not? When do we allow technology? All of these questions stress us out. 
But when you study the research and you filter it through the lens of emotional safety, or through the lens of scripture, emotional safety is the one factor to getting every single outcome we're looking for in our children. Now, as you think about this, just, just look here for a minute. This, this is what emotional safety scientifically is linked to. Academic scores. One research study took children at an early age and they took the same kids with the same IQ scores and they looked at kids raised in emotionally safe homes and those not raised in emotionally safe homes. And what they found were that a number of years later, those raised in emotionally safe homes with the same IQ had higher academic scores and were succeeding in doing better in school than those not raised in emotionally safe homes. Why? Because the emotional safety, they, with emotionally safety, they were able to access more of their IQ. Uh, brain development, social skills. We say that parenting is not rocket science, it's just brain surgery. Because literally, being emotionally safe wires their brain for every outcome we're looking for. Adult relationship satisfaction, the ability of kids to be able to, as adults, find a monogamous relationship, stay in that relationship, and actually enjoy it to be able to find a career and stick to it. Also, athletic and extracurricular success. A lot of guys will say to me, Josh, this idea of emotional safety, it's too mushy for me. Yet, research shows time and time again that the people that you want performing well for you under pressure, the guy you want at the plate, 3-2, bottom of the ninth, with a 3-2 count, man on third, down by a run, you want the guy who performs well under pressure. Those are the people in research that are usually the emotionally safest. There's a study even in Forbes 500. The top people in Forbes 500 have the ability to label emotions and know what other people they're interacting with or feeling. Also, a faith that sticks. Emotional safety is linked to raising a generation of kids whose faith, who stick to a relationship with God throughout their lives. But what does it look like? What does a safe relationship look like? Look at 1 John chapter 4 with me. It says this, perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So the simple equation that we break down for what emotional safety is, is that a safe relationship equals love minus fear. The emotionally safest places on the planet, our homes are ridding ourselves, ridding our homes of fear. So if there's one phrase that you take away from today, any phrase, it is this. It is the posture from which we parent, not the techniques that matters most. It is the posture from which we embrace our spouse, not the communication techniques that matters most. How are we embracing a posture of emotional safety? I had a 14-year-old, uh, a, a dad of a 14-year-old daughter call me recently, and he said, Josh, my 14-year-old daughter just came home and shouted at me, Dad, I hate you. She wanted to go to a Friday night football game. He said no, and she said, Dad, I hate you. Okay? Let's turn that crying up a little bit, parents. The stress, the anxiety. What are you feeling? What's your reaction, Right? The posture of emotional safety is to go, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, this isn't the posture of emotional safety. Please don't believe that, okay? This is what emotional safety is not. Punishing negative emotion is saying, you know what? Don't you ever speak to me that way again? Go to your room and take your phone for a month, and you're not going anywhere with your friends. Dismissing a negative emotion is saying, don't be mad at me. 
minimizing it as saying, you know what, it's just a Friday night football game. Forget it. The posture of emotional safety is this. And it's choosing not to be mean and nasty to our kids, even when they're being mean and nasty to us. And if there's one phrase that you can remember today, it is this. Take the golden rule, treat others as you would want them to treat you. And replace the word treat with the word understand. In order to be understood, we must first understand. In order to be understood, we must first understand. What was really going on with that 14-year-old girl is that she had been rejected by a group of friends for the entire school year up until that football game. She would see them posting on Facebook and Instagram and all these places doing things and having fun. And this was the first time that they invited her to be a part of their group and her dad said no. Now imagine him punishing the negative emotion. Instead, he postured himself in emotional safety and got to the underlying motivation behind the behavior. So how do we rid our houses of fear? What does fear look like? There are three ways that we tend to parent out of fear. Number one is bullying. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because bullying is abuse. And, and, and Jesus addresses this in, in Matthew. He says, it's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and flung into the sea than to treat a child this way. How's that for little rough. And in fact, children were outcasts in that time of Jesus. And the disciples were even questioning Jesus. What about the children? And you know what Jesus did? You know how Jesus responded? He said, bring the children to me. Bring the children to me. You want to see the future of the church? Bring the children to me. That's Jesus. There are two other ways that we tend to parent out of fear. One is, uh, the second one is perfectionism. Anybody try to be a perfect parent in here? Raise your hand. Mine's up high. In fact, uh, one of the things that I did recently or that I would used to do with, with Landon, we had this retaining wall in our backyard. It went from about five inches to about, uh, or eight inches to about five feet. And he would walk up this retaining wall in his shorts and I wanted to protect his perfect little legs. And so I was teaching him to just stare at the stones. Just make sure you're not wobbly. Just watch those stones as you're walking on up. And, and as I started to write the book Safe House, I started to realize this whole idea of being perfectionistic was really impacting our culture. I mean, come on, isn't it hard to keep up with parents on Pinterest with the gluten-free diets and do-it-yourself projects and on Facebook? Are, are we not comparing ourselves, right? And, and it's like, how do I keep up with the Joneses next door? You can't because they're posting pictures that make their lives look more glamorous than they really are, okay? That's really what's going on. But the reality is, is as I started to study this, I, I read a quote by Anne Lamott that just put me, stopped me right in my tracks. It said this, it says, perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. It will keep you cramped and insane your whole life. I think perfectionism is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, doing what I did, hitting each stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. The truth is you're going to die anyway. And a lot of people, and I put parents in this case, who aren't even looking at their feet are going to do a whole lot better than you, and they're going to have a whole lot more fun while doing it. 
Take your eyes off the stepping stones. Take your eyes off of comparing yourselves to other parents. And instead, when your kids are throwing a temper tantrum in the supermarket, or you see another set of parents and their kids are throwing a temper tantrum in the supermarket, go help the parents. Help them on a plane. Let's surround ourselves and come together as a group of parents to say, you don't have to be perfect. Because that's not what God expects of you. The third way we parent out of fear is parental agendas parental agendas. It's, it's wishing that my kids would be smarter than they are, wishing my kids uh, would maybe not be as shy as they are, wishing my kids would be um, maybe a, a better athlete than they are, or playing a different sport that I would want them to, or maybe playing the violin, or the trombone, or singing. And, and, and yet Proverbs says to train up a child in the way they, they should go, not the way we want them to go. They should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Too often, we look at that verse as a promise. It's not a promise, it's a proverb. And we look at that verse and we say, well, I did do the way I wanted them to go. We're to train them up in the way they should go. You see, here's the reality. When our kids are living in fear, when our kids are already dealing with the emotional bullets coming at them, the last thing they need is to come home and get shamed and ridiculed and embarrassed ever so subtly a lot of times because of our own agendas. You see, I love Philippians chapter 4 because Paul was the very first neuroscientist. You ever know that? I mean, not really by profession, but he was because he was a genius. And in Philippians 4, he says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And anxiety is that fear. It's that when our kids are throwing temper tantrums, they're screaming like that. They're, they're, they're th talking back to you. In your anxiety, make your requests known to God. Go to God the Father. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus right? When you're anxious, go to the Father, and He will calm your mind. He will calm your fears. He will calm your anxiety. And then, in verse 9, and not until then, does He say, what? Think. Think upon things that are true and noble and pure and holy and upright. You see, what He understood was that you can't think when you're overwhelmed in anxiety. You can't think when you're scared or fearful or angry or anxious, and neither can our kids, and neither can we. That's why we as parents become in a very finite way the parent that gives the understanding, that calms the brain, gives them the peace, so that therefore then we can set limits. You see, a lot of times as parents, and there are four walls that I describe to a safe house, the, 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 the foundation is a secure parent, knowing your own story. We're going to talk about that tonight. But the, the foundation is a secure parent. But then there are four walls that are built on that foundation. Two of those walls are grace and truth. Grace and truth. I'll give you the other two tonight, so sign up. We'd love to see you. There's your teaser. Uh, grace and truth. Because listen, the Bible specifically, truth, because I'm not saying we don't set limits with our kids. That's not what I'm saying. But when you lead with truth, truth without grace leads to condemnation. And our kids... Psalm 103, they don't need to be condemned. It's not the way the Father does it. If they constantly are feeling condemned, they're going to find another place to be safe than in our home and in our relationship with them. 
But the Bible, Peter writes, we are to be stewards of God's good grace. Because now there is no for condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Balancing grace and truth, always leading in grace to calm the brain so that they can be able to understand the truths that need to be set and understand right from wrong. As we close this morning, there are two primary ways. There's way more than two. I'm going to share two with you. We'll get more tonight. There's more in the book. Two with you this morning, two primary ways to begin creating an emotionally safe home. Number one is know your own story. And one of the factors, one of the ways that I do this is I set this up out of James chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle. Do this inventory. I write this in the, in, in the book, and, and, and I tell parents, give this to your kids, or give it to your spouse even, and have them rate you on a scale of 1 to 10 of how well you're doing, and, and do it every 2 to 3 months or so, and measure because it'll really tell if there's a rupture in your own story. Look at this. Uh, am I approaching my kids, their dirty diapers, skin, knees, uh, even disrespectful attitude in a peaceable manner? Am I gentle in how I talk to, care for, set limits with, and discipline and help my children? Or am I yelling and getting angry and, and, and acting out in anger? Am I open to reason with my children when we don't see eye to eye? Walk through these with your kids and a very humbling way to figure this out. And if, if you're not growing in any of these areas, there could be a rupture in your own story. But one of the other great ways to begin developing an emotionally safe home is what research calls repairing a rupture in the relationship. It calls it the ultimate of relationships. Secular research calls it the ultimate of relationships. Do you know what the Bible calls it? forgiveness. And it tells us to practice it a lot. You see, you don't have to be a perfect parent. Research shows that if you get this right, just two out of five times, you can raise emotionally safe kids. Take a deep breath. Two out of five times. Isn't that cool? So the shame, the condemnation, the embarrassment... It's not of the Lord. But when we wrong our children, we seek the forgiveness of our kids, and we're specific about that offense. And then we ask how we can write it. Because what we're doing when we seek the forgiveness of our kids is we show them that they don't have to be perfect, and we show them how to act when they're not. That's the freedom that Christ came to set us free for in the context of our relationships.